But it's great to be back. We're coming to the end of our sermon series on James. This is called The Mark of Faith, uh, where we're looking at what does it look like in someone's life where their life actually takes on a different shape and character when they begin to follow Jesus. And we've been going through the different marks of faith that James enumerates throughout his letter. And today we come to the mark of patience, the mark of patience. Um, James begins his letter this way, and you can even turn there in your uh, bulletins or your Bibles, James 5, verse 7. He says this, Be patient, therefore, of brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. So what James is going to do here is he's going to match up for us the timing of our expectations with the timing of the Lord. And that's what the virtue of patience is all about. If you want to know what it looks like, it's that the timing of your life, the timing of your heart, the timing of your expectations matches the timing of the Lord. Those things are, are like synced up. Uh, and, and you're like watching the Lord and you're listening to the Lord to know when do I act, when do I speak, and what's the speed that I go at. So it's where our emotions and our words and our plans matches the Lord's words and the Lord's plans and the Lord's actions. Um, one of the ways this is tested is when our patience is provoked, when our, when our um, impatience is provoked. People with patience uh, have the timing of God so worked into their bones that when they're provoked and when they're irritated, that's when the patience comes out and that's when you can feel it. And some of you know patient people where you could kind of provoke them and you only get more patience from them. But for most of us, um, we, we do not have that loving, unrushed quality to our life. Um, uh, I have taken a greater interest in basic road bike maintenance. This is one of my new hobbies. And so the process that I have in learning how to fix my bike goes like this. Um, if there's a problem with, with my bike or one of my kids' bikes, it's like, okay, I'm going to purchase or find tools to fix the bike. The second thing I do is I pull up the YouTube video, which walks me through the process of fixing the bike. The third step I take is to imitate what I see in the video. Um, and, uh, and then the, the, fi the final step is that it doesn't work. And my irritation is provoked, but then I complete the process again. My irritation gets higher, and then finally I just quit the process and, and um, just angry. So there's all kinds of unfinished, irritating, frustrating situations that we face, and that's really going to help us see where's our patience level at. So what's bugging you right now? What's the process you're in? Maybe it's an, uh, an ambiguous relationship. Do you have an ambiguous relationship in your life? You've got people in your life who are half in, half out. Half in as your community, but maybe not. Maybe, not they're, maybe they're not your community. Maybe they're your friend, maybe they're not your friend. Maybe this is romance, maybe this really isn't a romance. It's kind of an ambiguous half in, half out, ambiguous relationship, and it's testing your patience. Or maybe it's an undeveloped career you can't seem to make progress in your work. You feel stuck. You see other people advancing. You're same age, but they're advancing beyond where you're advancing. 
Maybe it's an unjust system. You're trying to do the right thing to correct an injustice, but you keep hitting a brick wall of indifference. No one seems to care, and everything that you try seems to be thwarted. Maybe it's unanswered prayers. You have something on your heart, and you've brought it to the Lord for years, and you've done so faithfully. And just the prayer's not being answered, even though there's no good reason for the prayer to go unanswered, this is a really good request that you're bringing to God, and you know he cares about it. Or it could just be an unending process. Are you in the middle of an unending process? Maybe it's a grieving process that seems unending and unpleasant, like it's never going to end. When am I going to be done? When am I going to be over it? Maybe it's a discernment process that just feels stuck, like it's taking forever, and you feel like you're never going to get on the other end of that discernment process. Are you in a process that feels unending? So we've got all manner of unfinished situations, and these are opportunities for the Lord to develop the virtue of patience within us. These unfinished situations are an opportunity for the Lord to work patience deeper into our bones if we take the opportunity. So James is going to encourage us to exercise and develop patience in two areas of our life and with two different relationships. The first relationship is our relationship with the Father, the relationship with God, developing patience with him. The second one is patience with other people. So we're going to look at patience with God in verses 7 and 8 and then patience with other people in verses 9 and 10 before James's final encouragement for us in verse 11. Let's look at patience with God. I'll read verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James wants us to wait for the Lord like a farmer waits for his fruit to ripen. James wants us to wait for the Lord, to be patient for the Lord in the same way that the farmer waits for fruit to ripen. And fruit doesn't ripen fast. But once it does, there's often a bumper crop, sometimes more than you can handle, right? So think of a good farmer. James really admires farmers, we probably don't think of farmers very often, but he's taken with them. And so um, he describes a good farmer that's, that's uh, waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And maybe you've tasted a precious fruit of the earth. You've tasted how delicious it is, how, how, uh, how well ripened it is, how much flavor there is. Um, now, this doesn't mean that a farmer in waiting for this precious fruit of the earth is lazy. Not at all. Farmers are busy while they wait for rain. They're busy pruning and planting and protecting trees against diseases and pests. Yet, uh, Middle, Eastern fruit, um, Middle Eastern fruit grows with two different rains, one in the fall and one in the early spring. There's autumn rains and there's spring rains. And a farmer in the Middle East is patient for those rains to come. It might be the hottest summer on record, it might be and probably is hotter in July in the Middle East than it is in Chicago, believe it or not. Um, uh, and the farmer may not really see much of anything growing when it's really, really hot in July. Um, but they don't give up because they know that the autumn rain is coming. The autumn rain comes and maybe it brings first fruits. 
It brings just a little bit of the pomegranates and the dates and the figs. But the farmer doesn't go plucking those fruits in September, even though they're there. And even though maybe, maybe he or she, she is feeling some urgency to get some fruit to the farmer's market. No, they wait. Uh, they wait through September and October and November and December and um, waiting for the spring rains, waiting for February and March. Um, when all that fruit gets another dowsing of grace from heaven and waits until they're ripened and, uh, and juicy and there's a bumper crop. Listen, patient farmers pick the best fruit and only patient farmers can pick the best fruit. Um, so James wants us to develop something, a similar process as we wait for the Lord. And all the things that we're praying about and all the things that we're worrying about and all the things that we feel like, why can't this happen now? Um, What does it mean to wait for the coming of the Lord? One thing that we do is that we wait for the actual coming of the Lord Jesus. Um, We can even think of the early rains and the later rains as the first advent of our Lord and the second advent of our Lord, meaning that he came first as a man, lived, died, and was resurrected, and then he was Uh, ascended to the Father's right hand, reigns over heaven and earth, but he's going to come again, uh, literally, and he's going to make all things new. He's going to finish all unfinished situations, and that really ultimately is what we are waiting for. It's what we're developing patience for, is the later reigns of the second coming of Jesus Christ as king and as a merciful and just judge. Um, On the other hand, the coming of the Lord is also whenever he intervenes in this life, whenever he steps in and makes a situation right. Um, And he does this again and again. The Lord draws near in all kinds of ways, in ways that are personal to us, in ways that uh, affect the whole church, in ways that affect the whole countries and societies. Um, He heals ailments. He corrects injustices. He saves sinners. He encourages his children. He provides for our needs. And he uses us to do that in the process. Um, But listen, often it takes the Lord a lot longer than we want him to to do all of that, doesn't it? It takes the Lord a lot longer than we would take to do stuff, to heal and to fix and to make things right. Um, We cannot rush him. Any more than we could rush the rain, we cannot rush the Lord. The call for us is to be like the farmer, the really good farmer who's confident because they have experienced this a few times. They know the early rains are coming, the later rains are coming, and in the meantime, um, uh, we teach our souls to wait for God um, and to, stay, to say to the Lord, in, uh, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I was recently talking with someone who owns a coffee roasting company, and he told me, he was explaining the process of roasting coffee from when you pluck the coffee cherry to when it's in the bag ready to brew. And uh, he described that key part of the process was fermentation. That after you uh, wash the beans, that that often they have to to ferment over a period of several months. I had never heard this before, that coffee has to ferment. And and he was like, oh yes, the best things in life are fermented. (laughs) I was like, really? Yeah. And it was like, yeah, actually it's It's right. And that, there's the obvious things. There's, there's wine, there's beer. Um, 
But think about other kimchi, it's fermented, kombucha, uh, sourdough bread, right? The creative process. We could go on. But I'll just suffice it to say the unfolding plans of the Lord are also fermented. And there's so much good that happens underneath the soil in the process. P.S., the character of the people of God while they wait for the unfolding plans of the Lord are also fermented and some of the best things in life. Consider the way of Jesus. Jesus spent 91% of his life preparing for his public ministry. During the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was pretty much anonymous except for a very small group of people who loved him and with whom he was in community. He spent that time memorizing scripture. He spent that time learning how to pray. He spent that time learning to work with his hands and serve other people uh, and to love his enemies and to practice everything that he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Even when Jesus' public ministry began, he didn't go off on his own pace. He went at the pace of his father. He said, hey, I only do what I see my father doing. And when you read the Gospels, you see this great unhurried quality to the way of Jesus. He's not in a rush. And when the pressures come, he doesn't get sucked in. Um, so when all the crowds start buzzing around Jesus, he doesn't get uh, caught up in the hype. Um, he was willing to drive them away uh, when, uh, when it was time. He didn't take on assignments that were not his to carry. Even when people really tried to put it on him, he's like, that's not what the Father's asked me to do. He was really patient with sinners and with enemies and with setbacks. And you know, think about this. He was even patient with his own death. Think about the patience of Jesus as he was walking through his trial and Pilate's like, why don't you answer me? And all these other people are, you know, accusing him of things. And he's just, he's actually not saying something or when he does speak, he speaks with a great authority. And when he dies, he waits. He's waiting for the vindication of the father to raise him up in the father's timing. He trusts his father. And in the end, you know what? He completed what the father asked him to do. Um, over the last 20 years, I've been really grieved uh, to watch people uh, in, in ministry, people who want to serve the church full time or mission field, um, really reversing this process that you see in Jesus where instead of waiting, they get caught up in the hype and the adrenaline of ministry in their early 20s. They're promoted and pushed forward before the early rains and before the late rains. And their soul has no time to ferment and mature. Um, so uh, it's so sad because I've seen people, people I know and then people I'm just aware of, become disillusioned, traumatized, and even killed by their ministries and um, not only does their ministry never recover, their soul never recovers, and they stop following Jesus altogether. And this morning, they are not worshiping Jesus. And in some cases, they leave their spouses and children. And I wish this were not happening all the time, but it is. And it really, really sad. I wish I was exaggerating. And um, maybe you, in your own profession, see something similar where people are rushing the process of maturity and they're trying to take on things that they're just not ready to take on. They get ahead of themselves 
and they end up not completing the work that God put them on this earth to do. What if we learn to take a different route in our life, in our church? Uh, What if instead of pushing God and rushing God, we learn to relish the timing of God? What if we learn to love the timing of God the same way the farmer loves the early rains and the late rains? There's a great book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Isn't that a great title? The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, church historian Alan Kreider. And in, the, in this book, he notes that patience was this rallying cry of the early church. They loved patience. It was one of the most frequently written on topics of the early church, like book after book after book written on patience. Imagine that. And the church being like, let's be patient. And, you know, in an empire, think about this, in an empire that's like pushing people around with the sword, build more roads, expand more empire, push, 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 grow, 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 expand, expand, expand. Like the early church went, you know what? That leads to violence. And that does not lead to life. Let's zig where the culture is zagging and let's follow Jesus and take his yoke and go his pace. Um, uh, Here's what Kreider says in his book. According to Tertullian, who was an early church pastor, impatient actions do not produce what they promise. Instead, impatient actions makes things worse bringing about massive misfortunes. And here's what Tertullian says. Now, nothing undertaken through impatience can be transacted without violence. And everything done with violence has either met with no success or has collapsed or has plunged to its own destruction. Patience, on the other hand, brings about new possibilities. Patience is the source of the practices of peace, which bring reconciliation week by week in the Christian worship services. Remember, the peace of Christ be always with you. The early church was like, let's just practice that week after week. And they became a church of reconciliation. Um, And their work outlasts the work of the Roman Empire. Um, Week by week, we learn patience. We wait for God to send the rain that our lives can bear fruit. Um, So here's what we do, okay? While we wait for the rain, we work the soil Okay, we get in the humble dirt and we work the soil and we prune away bad habits and immaturity. We learn the craft of the the vocation for which God has made us. We learn the rhythms of prayer. We learn the fine art of discernment, which you can't learn overnight and you can't learn on your own. Um, So what does this look like in practice? And I think verse eight nudges us in this direction. You can look with me at verse eight. Um, You also be patient. Now, the ESV says, establish your hearts. I think this is better translated, strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James calls us to strengthen our hearts. Um, it's, in the end, it's only the strong hearts that can be patient. Weak hearts cannot be patient. It is only the strong hearts that can be patient. And to one degree or another, we've all got weakness of the heart. Uh, an easily triggered heart, an agitated heart. Um, We have anger in our heart. We've got fear and jealousy that's kind of screaming at us from the inside. Make something of your life. Fix this situation. Set that person straight. Complete this process. No. So how do we strengthen our heart? 
One ancient way to strengthen our hearts, which is a practice of both Jesus and the early church, is to practice something in pairs. It's solitude and community, but you pair them up. Solitude and community. This is one of the most consistent ways we can strengthen our hearts, and here's what this looks like. Um, We go to the Lord in solitude long enough to feel our impatience. And we learn to wait on the Lord in silence and solitude. Now, maybe this is only 20 minutes. That's a good place to start. Five minutes is a good place to start. But hopefully we, we begin to lengthen that time to an hour, maybe even a day, maybe even a couple days where we're not really with other people. We've just got to set aside time. The Sabbath is made for this, a time of solitude. And maybe what you do is make a list called waiting on the Lord. Here's all the unfinished situations that are bugging me. I made one of these lists this last February. It was actually really sort of relieving to see all of the things that were circulating in my mind and heart, things I was waiting for. And you really go to the Lord with that and say, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I'm hoping for. You know, and then give him an opportunity to encourage you. It just takes time to hear from him. But you, if you're in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to encourage you. Wait on him long enough for him to do that. And then when you've had some time in solitude where the Lord has encouraged you and spoken to you through his spirit and word, then you step into community. Other people, maybe people that were in your city group this year, maybe others that are following Jesus and you just say, here's what I'm hearing from the Lord and here's what I'm waiting for. And you invite them to listen to the Lord with you, to be silent with you, to encourage you, to pray for you and maybe even to speak into your life. Whenever I have gone through the process of solitude and community waiting on the Lord, I always consistently walk out with a strengthened heart, with an overflowing heart, where I face these same situations, but they don't seem so irritating anymore. They don't seem so threatening anymore. And I can just walk into them with a newly strengthened heart because I've gotten the early rains and the late rains of the encouragement of God. And I'm more likely to act and match up my timing with his timing, my words with his words. It takes time to strengthen our hearts. Um, So what unfinished situations are agitating you? When are you tempted to rush the process and get ahead of God's timing? Maybe it's that ambiguous relationship, the unjust system, uh, the, the incomplete project or career Begin to pay attention. Where is the Lord working? What's the fermentation that's happening in you and around you? This is patience with the Lord. James calls us to patience with the Lord, but then he calls us to patience with each other. Patience with each other. Let's look at verses nine and 10. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophet's who spoke in the name of the Lord. Here's a contrast we see, a contrast between grumbling against one another in verse nine and speaking as if speaking from the Lord himself in verse 10, as the prophets did. Let's be honest. When we're faced with unfinished situations, especially unjust ones that cost us personally, we are tempted to blame others with our words. 
as our anger level rises, as the irritation rises, we want to find out who can I blame, who is at fault, and we become a baseball bat in search of a pinata. Like, who can I, who can I just let my frustration out on? Whose fault is it? And all it takes is just a sympathetic ear. Hey, man, what's going on? You seem a little bothered. And we'll just, like, start swinging at people. We'll be like, the politicians and the, the parents and, and my boss. So think again at verse nine. It's a temptation for all of us to do that, to swing the pinata, swing the lightsaber. Um, James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judging is, judge is standing at the door. Now, have you ever been standing outside a room and, or maybe you're passing by and you can kind of like hear everything that's being said inside that room. Maybe the door is really thin. And, um, and you just kind of like stand at the door and you're like, wow, I just heard every, I don't know if they know, but I can hear everything they just said. Not that you ever did that on purpose. I would never do that on purpose. Someone else probably has done that. Um, now listen, uh, James pictures Jesus as a judge standing on the other side of a door who can hear everything that we say. And that door is the thin veil separating heaven and earth. It's that thin veil separating what we can see and what we can't see. And Jesus can pass through that veil anytime he's ready. And when he does pass through that veil, we're going to give account to him for how we spoke about each other. He'll evaluate and weigh our words, the things we've said in secret, the things we've said in public, and he's going to evaluate what standard were you holding other people to. Now, in verse 11, James is going to refer to this judge as a super compassionate and merciful judge. Um, so Jesus is very compassionate and very solicitous and very merciful. And he's standing on the other side of that door going, you know, are you going to be as compassionate and merciful as I, as I would be? Or are you going to have a different standard that you're going to hold everyone else to. Um, it's good information for him to have. The scriptures say that Jesus wants to trust us to help him judge the nations and that we will eventually judge angels. But how are we doing with our own family members? How are we doing with our own city group members? How are we doing with people that just the everyday back and forth of people in our life, how are we judging them? How are we speaking of them? Uh, legend has it that an Orthodox priest once said, on the day of judgment, when you come to the, to, uh, the judgment seat and you look up, it's gonna be you sitting in that seat. And that's just a creative way of, of illustrating what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, um, the judgment that you with the judgment that you pronounce on others, it's gonna be, you're gonna be evaluated on those same standards. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so was it the measure of the Father's forgiveness and mercy and compassion? Or, or was it with a different standard? Now contrast the grumbling that we're so tempted to when we feel impatient with uh, verse 10, the prophets. 
As an example, uh, verse 10, I'll read. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now make no mistake, the, the prophets are not like sugarcoating their words, pretending everything is fine and stuffing their emotions. Um, the prophets are speaking truth to power. The prophets said some hard things that made people upset. Yet every word they spoke was spoken in the name of the Lord. And they spoke words of healing. And they spoke words of life. They spoke words that we still have with us. Words that still bring healing. Words that still carry out uh, God's good justice. God's good judgment. Um, When the prophets were attacked and criticized, they did not react in kind. They learned to bless rather than blame. And that's our model. That's what it looks like when patience works its way into our relationships and when patience works its way into our speech. So here's a spiritual discipline that we can all try that can open us up to the patience of God. When we're feeling agitated and tempted to blame someone else, just imagine the Lord listening to you while you talk. Not listening with a scolding face, but with a merciful and compassionate face, one that loves you. And then just ask yourself, do I really want to say what I was just about to say? So maybe not, okay, maybe you don't. So maybe you can turn all of that into a prayer, something like this. Lord, I'm feeling impatient. I'm feeling frustrated. You know it has to do with this particular person, a person that I cannot control, a situation that I cannot control. So give me the power of the Holy Spirit to bless rather than curse and rather than blame. Give me better and higher words to speak Let me speak only what the Holy Spirit would speak through me. Just stay with the Lord with that prayer as long as it takes. And then he gives us a final encouragement. James says, let's bring patience into relationship with God, into relationship with each other. Here's a final encouragement, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate, I think, really better trained, super compassionate, fully compassionate, and merciful. So let's paraphrase this verse. Stay in the fermentation process with the Lord because he is so deeply kind and good. Okay? Stay in the fermentation process with the Lord because he is so deeply kind and good. Now, listen, Job was a man who lost almost everything in his life, his kids, his, his career, his wealth, his health. Um, he suffered greatly. And let me tell you, his prayers were very honest. He did not pretend everything was okay, okay? He cursed the day of his birth. Um, but uh, the Lord found him faithful, and he wrestled it out with God, and the Lord's good purposes were shown to Job in his lifetime. Um. By the end of his life, Job was enthralled with the goodness and greatness of God. And that's, where, that's the journey we're heading on. So by the end of our life, we see the goodness of God and the greatness of God, and we can declare it. Um, when we become impatient, Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so we can stay in the process as long as Job stayed in the process to pray honest prayers and uh, to uh, let the fermentation process be completed. As we end here, I want to invite uh, Dan up to play. Let me pray for you as he does. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to invite you now to 
Ask the Lord to bring to you a situation that is testing your patience. You might even write it down. On the judgment seat, on that final day, it is ultimately a merciful and good father that is sitting on that seat. By his forgiveness and mercy, our impatient hearts will not sit in in judgment over us. Lord, I now pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. It is ultimately, Lord, from you that we need the power to be patient. I pray for all of those here who feel stuck in their careers, stuck in their development, and feel like it's never going to end. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the power to wait on you. And I pray that you would give them some next step where they can work the soil of their life and of their character. And I pray that they would go encouraged in this. I want to pray, Lord, for those who are in the middle of a grieving process that feels really hard. I ask, Lord, that you would come right next to your daughter now, right next to your son, who's grieving a loss and who is frustrated with themselves. I ask, Lord, for the power of God, the patience of God now to fill their souls, fill their bodies. I pray for someone here who's a medical situation that has lingered and has frustrated them to no end, has limited them, and has tested their patience. Even as something, Lord, as a rolled ankle or a bum knee, I pray, Lord, now that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, heal their bodies, And also, Lord, uh, heal their souls and strengthen their hearts. I pray now, Lord, finally for an ability to confess impatience, impatient words, impatient prayers, impatient actions. We bring those to you now, Lord. We ask that you would forgive our sin. We pray all these things, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.